My name is Neil Korobov. I am a professor of psychology at the University of West Georgia. I appreciate the sometimes indelicate way a poem offends our sensibilities, where we have to brace ourselves because it is startling and uncomfortable. It pulls a curtain back and says what we would ordinarily hesitate to say or admit openly. And it's that quality of the poem, its surprising candor, that disarms us, and it allows it to persist in our imagination because in the gravity of its honesty is truth. Truth that we can sense and see, and we know that there is a magnificent degree of freedom awaiting us if we can summon the courage to step into the invitation of the poem and live it. The Art of Disappearing by Naomi Shihab Nye When they say, don't I know you? Say no. When they invite you to the party, remember what parties are like before answering. Someone is telling you in a loud voice they once wrote a poem. Greasy sausage balls on a paper plate. Then reply. If they say, we should get together. Say, why? It's not that you don't love them anymore. You're trying to remember something too important to forget. Trees. The monastery bell at twilight. Tell them you have a new project. It will never be finished. When someone recognizes you in a grocery store, nod briefly and become a cabbage. When someone you haven't seen in 10 years appears at the door, don't start singing him all your new songs. You will never catch up. Walk around feeling like a leaf. Know you could tumble any second. Then decide what to do with your time. This is the second poem by Naomi Shihab Nye that I've worked with. I discussed her poem Kindness on another recording, and so it's obvious I'm a huge fan of her work and I couldn't resist using this poem. Naomi Shihab Nye is a poet, a songwriter, and a novelist born to a Palestinian father and an American mother. Her poems are not only often deeply cultural, but they also center around ordinary events, encounters, and daily tasks like this one here. I was immediately drawn to this poem when I first read it. It is darkly comical, icy, and perfectly punctuated with some of the best one-liners, like greasy sausage balls on paper plates, or the advice to become a cabbage. 
it speaks, I think, to the demands of negotiating one's time and energy and focus, all things that lie at the heart of most professions, though I felt it particularly resonant with the life of a teacher who is pulled by both the needs of her students and the demands of upper administration. I was also struck when I read it again for this project, how on the surface at least, it seems to go against the grain of all the other poems I've been working with so far. The other poems encourage us to hunt for deep connection, vulnerability, kindness, wisdom, while this poem recommends an almost antisocial retreat from the simple and passing connections found in ordinary social exchanges. But once you spend a little more time with the poem, you realize the poem fits perfectly, and in fact is a compliment to the other poems I've been working with. And so I feel the earnest need to defend the poem. I think it's perfect, despite that it's clearly antisocial and unfriendly, at least on the surface. First of all, it's funny. It's funny. It's a funny poem. You can imagine being at a party as a poet here and having people try to relate to you by noting that they too write poems, while of course eating greasy sausage balls off paper plates. Or the scene of being at a grocery store and seeing someone you know and trying so hard to avoid the obligatory stop and chat, and how you wish you could just become a cabbage and disappear into the shelves of produce. It's funny because we all try to hide at times, and we can relate to the awkwardness engendered by the effort of keeping up appearances. The poem actually reminds me of a funny app that was created and advertised heavily on social media not too long ago. It's probably a joke. I'm not sure. I can't imagine people actually using it. But the app is called You're Cancelled, and young people especially rave about it. The app works like this. You make plans with someone using the app. So I assume both people have to have the app on their phone. You make plans. And when you've made plans that you wish you could cancel, you just go into the app and you press a little button that says cancel. Now, if the other person presses their cancel button too, congratulations, confetti explodes, and hooray, your plans are canceled. But if you press yours and the other person doesn't press their cancel button, then the plans remain intact. And the other person never finds out that you had hit your cancel button. So you save face. The app, I think, speaks volumes about two equally powerful neuroses. The first being the pressure we feel to engage with others, to make plans, to stop and chat, to be social. While the other equally pressing desire is to cancel these plans and avoid others while saving face. It's like we're caught between two powerful and equally impossible demands. And behind each is often, unfortunately, the inability or fear of simply being honest, of being yourself, of speaking your true desire and trusting that the other can hear it openly and non-defensively, and that your lives are both better off this way. And so, yes, this poem is funny in a dark way, once you pull the layers back a bit. And when you do pull the layers back a little bit further, you're free to discover that the poem is not actually dismissive of true intimacy and true encounter. It's dismissive of the simulacrum of encounter, of the false appearance of encounter. The poem is a fun but strong 
remonstration against trivial niceties, shallow small talk, and superficialities. In the end, I think the poem is a cry to save your precious energy and time for something else, the trees or the monastery bell at twilight, both contemplative symbols of silence and the tender restoration found in generative encounters. The art of disappearing awakens a deep and personal experience of letting go and disavowal or renunciation of something common or typically accepted or tolerated in order to pursue some greater good. Yet the feel here is not about utter abandonment of our social and material worlds, but rather it's a call to a mindful hesitation, right? She says, before before you answer the call of the other, before you simply say yes, think and remember for a moment what you are saying yes to, and then answer. Be intentional and thoughtful before committing. When they say, we should get together, rather than feeling immediately flattered by that or wanted, hesitate, hesitate, and hold those assumptions at bay long enough to consider why it is you would be getting together. What is there between the two of you worthy of that encounter? And to see that consideration not as something judgmental or dismissive or conceited, but instead as a thoughtful reckoning. She reminds us that this stance is not one of rejection. You are not rejecting the other. She reminds us that it is not that you do not love them anymore. You do. You do love them. You care deeply. But that care does not carry with it the automatic assumption that you will engage no matter what. I think the poem invites us to understand this kind of renunciation as the falling away of a fantasy. The fantasy that we ought to tend to the other and draw near as often, as often as we can. Rather, the poem asks us to strike a balance and to remember that in the din of social obligations, there is always a background of something bigger calling us to show up for, something that the poem calls too important to forget. What this something is, she doesn't say. It's likely different for each of us. But there is always a clarion call to it that rises up and competes with and is often drowned out by the much louder call of social obligations. The poem calls us to feel this rising up to something too important to forget and to yield and give ourselves to it as our first priority. And again, to always remember that we still love our friends and that parties and short hellos at the store are not inherently wrong, but rather, there is something inherently right and sanguine about the pull inward towards the trees and the monastery bell 
and how choosing that path may make all the difference in the way you float or tumble as that delicate leaf the poem speaks of, suspended in the air amid an array of opposing forces. It is well known that the American journalist Bill Moyers carried this poem, folded into his wallet after his heart surgery. Now, it's not likely that someone would carry a poem in their wallet after living through heart surgery on account of it being a grumpy, antisocial poem. I think if you were to ask Bill Moyers why he carried the poem, you might find the true merit of it. When you listen past the poem's prickly barricade, what you hear rings out with the clear purity of that monastery bell it makes, that it makes mention of. Again, the poem is a calling to us to tend to what really matters. And if this poem has a sting to it, then trust it. Trust the sting in the way you might trust the way alcohol burns when you pour it onto a wound. Life, if you live it attentively and intentionally, can be much wider and more satisfying than the seductive trappings and distractions of trivialities and social niceties. And so in the end, I think I would probably describe this poem as a playfully and honest and introspective poem. And it isn't, after all, really antisocial. At first it seems that way because it's a call to eschew superficial encounters and the immediate knee-jerk accommodation of this social tug. Remember, becoming a cabbage does not mean that you don't love them anymore. The poem is a call for us to rise above the Twitter and chatter, and instead remember that there are things of greater substance. It was Goethe who exclaimed, I praise what is truly alive. I praise what is truly alive. Nye's poem here is a call to praise in that way, a call to be reverential to the tidal pull of what is truly alive and to pursue those things. And so as teachers, this poem asks us to engage, yes, but to engage mindfully and to do all we can to tilt the conversations and the interactions and the encounters to what truly matter, to work worth pursuing. This poem confronts us all with the bigger question of what is truly mine to do and what is not mine to do. We cannot, after all, tend to everything. Every hello and yes is also a no and a goodbye to something else. We know that we do not have all the time in the world. We are all Stung and swollen, reckless, pinned against time, to borrow that line again from Ellen Bass's famous poem. In the end, I think the art of disappearing is a poem about knowing what is truly mine to pursue and to give, and what is yours, and what is ours, and preciously pursuing each in their own way, and in their own time, knowing 
knowing and always remembering that at any moment, we are that delicate leaf hanging in the balance. The Art of Disappearing by Naomi Shihab Nye When they say, don't I know you? Say no. When they invite you to the party, remember what parties are like before answering. Someone is telling you in a loud voice they once wrote a poem. Greasy sausage balls on a paper plate. Then reply. If they say, we should get together. Say, why? It's not that you don't love them anymore. You're trying to remember something too important to forget. Trees. The monastery bell at twilight. Tell them you have a new project. It will never be finished. When someone recognizes you in a grocery store, nod briefly and become a cabbage. When someone you haven't seen in 10 years appears at the door, don't start singing him all your new songs. You will never catch up. Walk around feeling like a leaf. Know you could tumble any second. Then decide what to do with your time. Make me one heart. The poem, The Art of Disappearing by Naomi Shihab Nye, is from her book, Words Under the Words. A special thanks to the University of West Georgia for providing the time and resources needed to create this project.